Hi there, thank you for joining. At the end of today's thoughts, stay tuned for a guided meditation. Hi, this is Tamika Kasten Miller, creator of Ashe Yoga, located in Houston, Texas. Since I've been a yogi, which has been for many, many years, I have found that yoga is a space in which I can get on my mat and have some time away from everyone else. Back in the day when I first came to yoga, it was 2001. I was really interested in just moving my body and losing weight. I've been a full-figured person for a long time. And so losing weight was definitely the goal. If I could get some peace of mind out of it, that was a good thing as well. As I continued to practice and eventually came to a studio, I noticed how much yoga was transforming how I approached my body and how I looked at my body. And eventually through this changing vision, I've also noticed how it has changed how I approach decision-making, visioning, and everything in between. Somewhere in the last few years, I've realized how important meditation is as a part of the yoga to create a vision for my life. Part of that vision was becoming a yoga teacher And part has been expanding the definition of what yogis look like just by being the atypical yogi if you look on to social media or other platforms. But mostly my opinion of what yoga has done for me has been to transcend. Transcend time, space, perceived limitations, chronic pain, self-loathing, shame. And this has been a, a conduit for change in my life. And I think that that's why it's so important for me to share it with others. We live in a time in which we have a plethora of access to books and research, uh, podcasts and talks on cable and satellite all telling us how we are deficient, all telling us the problems that we have and how we got those problems. I think it's really important for us to understand that we are all flawed individuals and we are all in the process of evolving and becoming. And to that end, we all have our deficiencies. But to have these messages coming from the outside, I think can be helpful if given an opportunity to bring an answer to them. So consider what you say to yourself on a daily basis that's not necessarily kind. Think of all of the ways that you might speak to yourself in a way that could be damaging if you said that to something, someone else. It could be as simple as oh, I'm carrying weight today, or um, 
my skin isn't bright and shiny or it could be I wish my hair were longer, I hate my hair or any anything else. It usually has to do, do with something that is external. So think of all of the ways that we speak to ourselves in that way. And then consider all of the messaging that we get from that which is around us. We have, of course, messaging from social media telling us that everyone else is skinny except for us. Everyone else travels every day and doesn't actually have real jobs. Everyone else is living the dream and you're not. And these are all ways in which competition is seeded and joy is sacrificed. And so if we look at the things that we say or listen to the things that we say to ourselves and then consider the messaging that we get outside of ourselves, then these things together can create patterning of shame, patterning of perceived limitations that then seed themselves into the way that we move about our relationships, move about our jobs, and the way that we visualize what we have in store for us, what we feel that we deserve. So one of the questions I get frequently is how to create steps toward transformation in one's own life. Where do you begin? What is the path to healing? What do you have to let go of? What do you have to do? And for me, the answer is very simply to start with a vision. Recently, I returned from a trip to Peru. And if you've ever been to Peru, you know this already. Um, it is nothing short of magical. It's very interesting because people have this fascination with the Incas and oftentimes refer to them as this magical group of people. And when you're there for sure, it does feel that way. It's incredible. Um, if you've not been, uh, what you'll find when you go there is there are many mountains It's in the Andes and in the mountains, there are terraces that have been created. The Incans looked at, and the pre-Incans looked at mountains and acknowledged the fact that there would be rain, there would be uh, torrential rain at times, and there would be droughts. And if you've ever lived anywhere where that is mountainous, you know that there, that means that there will be of course, mudslides. And so to prevent this, they created terraces in the mountain sides. This of course then would help to prevent mudslides because now there are essentially big stair steps, but also it created an opportunity where they could then plant and plant in various um, ecosystems because the Andes is quite, quite high. And so with these terraces about three feet apart from one another, they would hit different climates. 
All of this is being done before the United States is a concept and even before um, the uh, Europeans even think about contact with uh, the Americas. And so all of this is happening and people are like, well, they're magical people. And I realize I'm a historian, so I, I, but I'm also a yogi. So I do believe in magic, but I also believe in humanity. So I started to think to myself, what is different about the Incas and me, for example? I thought about my history and my ancestry. And for me, this has been something I've been thinking about a lot lately because I feel that when we look to our ancestors, we can find a lot of answers. And I begin to think about my ancestors, especially because when I was climbing Ollantaytambo, which is, if you've ever seen the climb for Machu Picchu, the climb for Ollantaytambo is a lot worse. And so I was climbing Ollantaytambo, and I was just like, oh my gosh. And I'm just like, okay, what have my ancestors been through? They have been through far worse than this. And I'm like channeling my ancestors. I'm like, let me get up this mountain. This is so hard, this altitude, all of these steps. And I'm like, if they could do it, they did much more with less. I'm just thinking, oh, give me the strength of my ancestors right now. You know, of course, everyone else is just going up the mountain. But for me, (laughs) I was calling on all of everyone to help me get up there because it was so much work for me. So as I'm getting up there, I realized how much I called on my ancestors. And again, lately, I've been thinking about them. Like, what did my ancestors do? How did they live? And what did they achieve? If I think about this, I would look at a couple of things. First of all, it is it has been said that we hold the trauma of seven generations within our DNA. So if this is true, when we're going back seven generations, then that means I'm going back through lines of former slaves, or lines of slaves, and I'm also going back through, I'm holding on to the trauma of slaves, I'm also holding on to the trauma of people being ripped from their homes, I'm holding on to the trauma of the white ancestors who were a part of that, who were acting out of their human nature to see people as chattel. So I'm I'm holding on to that as well. And, you know, I've been thinking about that and how uh, Africans had to behave knowing that there was a situation they were going into that Um, they weren't getting out of, you know, and there's a lot of um, talk about, you know, house slaves versus field slaves, and there's a lot of shaming around house slaves, and I just wonder how would we behave if we were in that situation? How would we survive? So now's the time, since I am a nerd, I'm a historian by nature, that I tell you a little story about... um, Louisiana, which is where my family comes from. In Louisiana, there was uh, 
a unique situation in which there were, of course, uh, the French and there were also the Spanish. A lot of people don't realize there are the Spanish there. And to this end, there were a lot of different rules or a lot of changing rules around how the planters would treat their slaves. With the French who came over, um, there wasn't a lot of, uh, actually, uh, there were, sometimes the French would have their French women come over as well. But initially, of course, French men came over to be planters and to be the colonizers. And in the Spanish period, this is also true, that initially only men came over. And this is why there's so much mixing between um, African women and Native women and these two groups. The difference, though, is that the French eventually started sending women as well because they wanted to start creating uh, white uh, progeny in the colonies. But what happened was there were of course, um, sexual encounters between black women and white men. And sometimes those situations were less awful than others. What would happen in those instances is that the planter upon his death would oftentimes grant what was called a manumission. And this manumission granted freedom to his mistress, his black mistress, concubine, slave, whatever you want to call her. And so it would grant her freedom and oftentimes then she would also be given slaves who were oftentimes their children who then she could then free as well. And perhaps even a few more to help with land that he might also grant her. Now, this was a really big deal because there were black women who were becoming landowners in the South. And this is a story that isn't often told. So black women became planters as well, oftentimes having slaves work their land to help them till and to help turn a profit. And because the legitimate family or the white family of the, the plantation master who granted this manumission and granted all of these rights um, was the legitimate um, heir to or had legitimate heirs to all of these properties oftentimes that land money slaves whatever would be um, would be disputed so black women would work really hard and work their slaves really hard to turn profits to create enough wealth to enough liquid wealth to pass down to their children this is an incredibly interesting phenomenon because it means that not only did that woman have the experience of being a slave and being repeatedly raped by her master even if she was acquiescent in the scenario, she was not free to choose. So in these interesting situations, she had that experience of surviving that, that situation. 
But then she also had the experience of being free through that situation. This is a history that I carry in my DNA. I know for sure that my great grandmother was a slave and I know that my great grandfather was a plantation owner. So I know that that is the history that I carry in my DNA. What happened before that is something that's still to be researched, but I know that I have that. So what does that mean? That means that I have the story of trauma and I have the story of survival and the same human and then the same DNA. And so when we think about when we have seven, years, seven generations worth of trauma, we can also say we also have seven generations worth of survival. So that means that all of those people who survived, thrived, who found a way, who crafted a way, that's also inherent in my DNA. And so why would I choose the trauma over the victory? I can learn from both of them and both of them are in me. And it is not my goal to shun one for the other. For me, it's my goal to acknowledge that both exist. And so now I come back to the story of the Incas. When we look at the story of the Incas and we look at how they were able to see a mountain and see steps and see terraces, see gardening opportunities, permaculture, before those words were even concepts anywhere else in the world. When we look at that, the difference between the Incas and me is nothing. All that they have, I have. The question is, do I have the vision to be able to look at a reality that hasn't yet manifested? And so through the work of meditation and the work of turning inside, the work now is then to create that vision, a vision of something that is sustainable, a vision that hasn't yet been realized, to be able to look at a blank slate and see that vision takes some work. And it also takes faith that what you see is really for you. So my question then is, will you step, will you A, take the time to create a vision or to see one? B, how will you do that? And then C, what will you do when it appears? Now, as I mentioned, I can speak to the how. For me, the how is through meditation is through the softer yoga practices that require for the yogi to turn inside. And this is why it's so important to create spaces for people who look and like and feel and behave in all different ways because all of our talents are part of this giant tapestry of humanity and they're all needed. And whenever these spaces aren't created so that people can step outside of the human experience to have an experience of the big self, then those talents go untilled as fertile ground that is just being wasted. 
And so through the yoga practice, we essentially create moments of challenge. We have asked for them. We have voluntarily walked into a yoga practice and we're stepping into a challenge. And every single time there's a pose, there's an option to either step into that challenge and stay or to get out of the situation. And the more that we choose staying, the more that we're creating resilience. And then the gift then of that practice is the ability to study, well, what happened in that practice, that self-study. What happened? What did I learn about myself today? I learned that I can do XYZ posture for this long. I learned that I can do camel pose, ustrasana, and not come immediately out of it because I feel uncomfortable. I learned that if I stay, I will be fine. And so learning that is an incredible gift because then it gives us the opportunity to be in other moments of challenge and know that we will be fine because we're in the work of resilience. It also creates an opportunity to be compassionate toward others because we're also learning when to say no to a posture or when to say no to a situation. Now, for me, these uh, practices, this knowledge and self-study happens a lot more profoundly in the lower, in the slower meditative practices like yin yoga and even restorative yoga. And in restorative yoga, the, the challenge isn't the pose because you're in a juicy, delicious, comfortable pose. The challenge is allowing yourself to receive the pose, allowing the rest and the recovery. And that becomes then this mental challenge. And so when we do that, then we're in the work of yoga. So how then does this again relate to the Incas? Because as I mentioned, they weren't just hard workers, they had vision. Well, from what I learned from my time in Peru was that the vision that they had wasn't just to create something that made sense, that helped villages stay intact, and that helped them create food and different levels of food and crops and all those things, but they were doing it all under the auspices of creating something for future generations. And so when they came to the table, they knew that what they were harvesting was for more than just them. They were always giving back to Pachamama, Mother Earth, giving gratitude for Mother Earth, having provided for them. And they were building for future generations, which gave them the strength to keep going. So my question to you is, why are you doing what you're doing? Is what you're doing only for right now? Or are you thinking about and considering what remains? This taps into Yoga Sutra 2.1, where 
the concept is about practicing your discipline consistently. Self-study, looking inward and looking at what are the gifts of yoga that then you can then devote to other people or to a higher power. And so this is what we have to the opportunity to cultivate. And then when we're doing that, we're in the practice, we're in the action of yoga. And we're also in the action of visioning. And with that vision now, all we do is start taking the steps to lean into that vision. Now I'll offer you a meditation for visioning. Find a comfortable spot. You can be seated or you can lie down. If you do lie down, I recommend that you place a pillow under your knees and a tiny rolled blanket under your head. Feel free to pause while you get comfortable. Enjoy how you feel, seated or lying down. Notice the connection between your body and that which is supporting you. What parts of your body are touching your support, the ground or the chair that you're sitting in? Now notice your breath. Become deeply aware of the rise and fall of your belly. Notice the location of your breath. Is it in your chest? Or is it in the pit of your belly? Does your chest rise and fall? Or do your ribs expand? Become deeply aware and curious about your breath. Now draw your breath into your belly button, your navel center. And as you exhale, exhale in the direction of your feet. Take a full inhale into your belly center and exhale in the direction of your head. Inhale to your belly center. Exhale toward your feet. Inhale toward your belly. Exhale toward your head. Inhale, navel center. This time, exhale in both directions. Inhale, draw your inhale into your belly. And send your exhale in all directions. Allow for your exhale to touch the edges of your awareness. Perhaps even see edges 
of your awareness. Notice if it is porous. Or does your awareness have strong walls? Perhaps give it a color. Seeing yourself inside of a bubble. Inside of a circle of energetics and awareness. That is all you. As you exhale, this boundary or this awareness that you're creating gets thicker. And know that everything that happens inside of this bubble is happening for and with you. Know that you are in agency at all times. You are in co-creation of this moment. Allow for any thoughts that you have to be seen. Notice any thoughts and allow for them to float out into the space around you, onto your bubble. To glide down your bubble, underneath you. Be held by your thoughts. Notice any titles or labels you've given yourself. See them with your mind's eye. All of the roles that you play. See them, see each one. Allow them to float to the top of your bubble to bear witness to your experience. And see yourself lying there or sitting there. And invite the experience of peace to fill your body. Invite peace and joy. Fill that sense of peace all over your body. Bring awareness to the front side of your body. then bring awareness to the back side of your body. Notice if you can fill both sides of your body at the same time. Now bring your awareness to your chest. Sense your heart space. With full connection with your heart, ask your heart what is it that it truly desires. Allow for your heart to answer. Now see that answer 
Visualize that answer as though it's been projected onto a screen and see yourself living and being your heart's greatest desire. What does it look like? How do you feel? What people are there to support you on your journey? What are your surroundings? Where do you live? What do you do for work or security? Notice all of the things that surround and play a part of what you see for yourself. And sense how you feel about what you see. Notice all of the sensations that you feel when you look at your vision in front of you. And know that that vision that you see, whether it is clear or fuzzy or partial, it is from you and of you and it has always been a part of you. And therefore it is meant for you. Breathe in the knowledge that your vision is a part of you and it is simply waiting to be birthed by you. Continue to see yourself in this work or state of being. Feel the joy that accompanies being in the place that you're making. Now allow for this feeling of joy to permeate your whole being. Sense joy. Feel joy, feel bliss, feel peace. Fill up completely with the sensation of joy. And now notice those parts of yourself that have been noticing and watching all of this from the start. See yourself sitting or lying in meditation and come back to yourself. Allow for any thoughts that 
or supporting you to come back to be a part of you again. And come back to the awareness of your breath, noticing the rise and fall of your chest. Take a full inhale into your low belly. Exhale, allow for a full body exhale. And do that again. Take a full deep, full body inhale. And an even slower exhalation. And now begin to notice your fingers and your toes. Bring movement into any parts of your body where it feels good. Turn your head from side to side. And bring more awareness into your body. If you are lying down, roll over to your left side and then press yourself up to seat it. Take a full inhale and reach the crown of your head toward the sky. Exhale, settle down, allow your shoulder blades to make their way down your back. Take another full deep inhale, lengthen up toward the sky. And exhale, ground down. And still with eyes closed or lowered, Give gratitude for taking time to see, to see what your heart wants and needs. And acknowledge that your heart, the truest part of you, will always speak truth. If it feels comfortable for you, perhaps even say to yourself, I trust myself. And breathe into the spaces around your heart. Know that this is something that you can always do for yourself on your own. That at any given time, you can tap into your heart energy. Ask your heart what it is that it desires. Remember your vision. Recall your heart's desire. And then make decisions and steps to walk into that vision. Thank you for allowing me to guide you through your practice. It is always my goal to leave you better than I found you. And I hope that happened for you today. Namaste. You've been listening to Think, Flow, Grow. I hope to hear from you. Please send any questions or comments that you'd like for me to address any future topics. 
and please tune in next week.